Hello and welcome to the Meet the Masters podcast presented by Scale Up Milwaukee. Meet the Masters is an interview series that highlights entrepreneurs, business owners, and CEOs and their successful expansions and stories of growth. This series is presented by Scale Up Milwaukee, an initiative of the Greater Milwaukee Committee whose focus is on transforming the culture of growth in the region. Scale Up does this by hosting impactful events and business accelerators designed to infuse growth into every corner and help spread inclusive economic prosperity. You can find out more about Scale Up at scaleupmilwaukee.org. This episode features an interview with Scott Lurie, CEO and owner of F Street Group, whose focus continues to be on finding opportunities that maximizes returns and wealth creation. F Street Group invests and maintains ownership stakes in businesses across a number of verticals, including housing, lending, real estate development, and hospitality. This interview originally took place on January 12th, 2020. Today, we have with us Scott Lurie, who is the CEO, founder of F Street Group, which is the shortest version of his title ever. Because really, Scott does only about 27 different things. So say good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for being here. Glad to have you at uh, Building 42. So this is what I've been thinking about for about a week, preparing for this moment. I got to meet your son, Hayden, and I've been thinking, what do your kids think you do? Interesting question. Um, I, I would say, if you ask my daughter, she thinks I pay bills and do lots of different things in the real estate world. And if you ask Hayden, uh, he would probably say real estate, hospitality, um, and some form of lending, although that's tied into the real estate world. He would probably comment a little bit on development, maybe, um, but we'll see. Hayden, is that accurate? Is there anything we're missing? Yeah, there's more stuff. For instance, uh, he and I had a conference earlier this morning. Um, I'm wondering, how many days this year did you play golf? Ah, not enough. Um, Over 100? Way under 100, I wish. Really? Because I hear you've got a single-digit handicap. I do, but I don't get to play enough. But I I did just play this past weekend, and uh, it was fun. Uh, In what state? It was in Florida. That would make much more sense. (laughs) So if you all don't know, F Street is really the the top of the pyramid, uh, which is probably the wrong analogy to use in this business, but it really describes just the beginning of a huge array of businesses, uh, from investments to operating companies like Milwaukee Hard Money or Hard Money Milwaukee, and uh, it's in Milwaukee Brewing, it's in the Ale House, it's in Timmermans Resort, uh, it's in Arbel, which is uh, a private equity investment arm. There's F Street Investments. There are just so many things. So really, I should ask, what don't you do? I, I don't know. Um, I guess the answer is we're, we always evaluate opportunities as, as they're presented to us. Each day is a new day for me where somebody is contacting us for an opportunity to to either be an investor, sit on a board, uh, raise capital, do development, partner, et cetera. So So, so from the 20,000 foot view, 
a lot of the ways that you engage is from that investor, developer, sort of uh, a, a financial perspective. But here we are sitting in one of your businesses where you have taken a strong operational lead. So where does your talent lie? Is it in operations? Is it in uh, the technical aspects of finance? What is it? I think specifically my, my value is really from that 30,000 foot view of, of looking at transactions, looking at opportunities, and figuring out how to navigate. And then the best part of it is building a team around us. So we've got qualified, uh, great group of people that are continuing to help grow and promote our brands. And uh, that's how we continue to be successful is through our, through our people that work with us. So our team is critical to our growth. And uh, we've got a lot of confidence and trust in that team. So word on the street is you're actually a, a pretty hard-charging deal-maker. Uh, some folks would call you a little gruff, uh, that you are uh, edgy. But word on the street is also that you're a fantastic boss and that you're really good to your team. Tell me about how do you, how do you reconcile those two pieces? Well, I would disagree with gruff and edgy, but I guess I could understand how one might come to that conclusion. No one that's gruff calls himself gruff. Yeah, it's true. I guess that's fair. Um, I, I would find myself, not that you've asked, to be compassionate and loving, but you've said the opposite. So maybe, um, I, maybe I would comment on, <clears throat> um, I love deals. Mm -hmm. I love the art of the deal. I think every deal that we do is with tremendous challenge. Uh, basic layups are not what we do. And so if you look at this building we're sitting in, in August of 2016, it didn't have a single window. It didn't have plumbing, it didn't have electric, it didn't have self-storage below it, it didn't have a brewery. So these are the challenges. It was the last building to be redeveloped in the PAPS development. So these are the opportunities that we're able to create through um, our team, whether it's partnerships, whether it's um, leaders inside of our organization um, you know we do want everyone to be the best and so we do push our team as hard as we can but um, we also understand life as a team member in f street um, does have its challenges because we're all over the place mm -hmm. um, but we do ask for everyone's 110 percent effort each day and uh, i think we get it so it's it, it's it's rewarding so as you all know <clears throat> this is meant to be a conversation so if at any point you want to chime in please don't feel bashful. You just said you like to do the hard deals, you don't like the layups, just announced yesterday or, or we were reminded yesterday that uh, you are purchasing the former assurance building downtown. What the heck were you thinking there? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I, I, so it, it wasn't as, it's, it is not as fearful of a project as this was. Um, this culminated from sitting on a board of a company and there was a need and then you ended up with, hey, can we do more? And then you be careful what you wish for when you ask Matt Rinka to more, uh, more turns into this. So um, his team is our partners along the way and they're the best in the business. So um, touching on Assurant for a minute, Assurant was an opportunity that was presented through a network. Um, it was brought to my attention from a connection to one of the bid directors in downtown Milwaukee who contacted, or Pat Algiers, who I think's in the room somewhere. We saw Pat. Um, 
who ended up reaching out to me in mid-September and on, on um, December 20th, we'll close that transaction. So there's not many nimble organizations in Milwaukee that would take a 400,000 square foot vacant building and put it under contract and close all within 60 days. Um, so with that said, what was I thinking? Milwaukee's got a very bright future right now. We're in the Wall Street Journal, we're in the New York Times, we're getting a little traction that we've desperately needed for the past, I don't know, 100 and some years. Um, the DNC is now coming to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Whoever thought that would be a viable option, none of us. Um, we're starting to see development. We're starting to see a little bit of movement towards, um, I think, the people sticking around Milwaukee versus leaving Milwaukee for other cities. Um, so all of that is what has created my optimism towards what can happen with the 500 block of West Michigan. And so it's a full city block. It is our intentions with our partners, including Pat uh, and the Rinka team, to redevelop it. We want to add a hotel to the floor 7 through 10, or 7 through 9. We want to um, be competitive. Uh, we hear a lot that office space is expensive. And fortunately, based on assurance, desires, and our abilities, we believe that we'll be able to offer competitive office space to people that would normally view suburban office space as more attractive. Um, we do have a 900 or 817 stall parking mm -hmm. structure attached to the building, which is a competitive advantage. When we lease this building, um, and we just signed a lease with Badger Mutual, their number one question is, where does our team members park? And that's the number one question they got. And so having parking is critical. Um, we believe that the Rinka team will transform the 500 block of West Michigan to a vibrant part of West Town. And uh, we are super excited about that opportunity. So I'm hearing two things that I wanna, I wanna continue on. One of the things that defines Scale Up Milwaukee and the work that we're doing is a focus on growth. And so when you talk about the opportunity that was available to you, there's an analysis in everything you do about where the, the growth moment is, where the, the room for growth is. So how do you think about analyzing opportunities to find where the growth can, can go? So growth is an interesting thing because if you've read in the papers for the last three years, Milwaukee has had negative growth or fractional negative growth, which mm -hmm. is really disheartening in terms of the concept of what all of the good that's happening in this great city and then we just can't get the people. And it's a function of leadership, it's a function of pricing, it's a function of tax base, it's, it's, a, it's a function of a lot of things, but it's also companies that are in Oklahoma and Nebraska and all over the world for that matter, um, never really thought of Milwaukee as a metropolis for business um, until recent, right? Foxconn has put us on the map despite all of the negative or positive publicity that goes with it, they have, there's certainly, people have taken attention to Foxconn's entrance into Wisconsin. Uh, too bad it's not in downtown Milwaukee, it's in Mount Pleasant, which is still good for us. Um, so, you know, when you say the opportunity, the opportunity for us is, and we see this commentary is, hey, we kept Badger Mutual in Milwaukee. And people say, well, that doesn't really materially help us, right? You've shifted them from the 1700 block of National Avenue to 9th and Juneau. And, well, I would argue that we've kept them in Milwaukee, so that's a victory, right? But it doesn't provide scale. It doesn't provide growth. It doesn't provide opportunity. It just 
moves population, but what happens in their development site, we don't know yet. Then that could be 2,000 jobs from mm -hmm. Ohio. I, we don't know. So um, it, it is our intention to, uh, with, with the help of Pat and her team and CBRE, to go on a national search to market to people to come to Milwaukee. If we can be victorious in adding 2,000 jobs that do not exist in Milwaukee today, we hit a home run. If we keep a company that's in Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, we hit a single. If we can bring someone from the suburbs to Milwaukee, that's a triple. And so, you know, all of the viability of continuing to bring people and jobs to Milwaukee is critical to Milwaukee, um, but it is a real problem. So you've obviously got a talent uh, for looking at something as it is and recognizing the assets and the liabilities, uh, and you've done that for Milwaukee. You could just as easily do that for a hundred other locations that have uh, a great cost of living, that have a ton of available real estate, uh, where the cost of capital is low, where there's, there's a ton of people and a lot of energy inviting investors from the outside. Why are you choosing Milwaukee? Um, well, so Milwaukee is a very challenging environment to operate in. Um, we have a challenged government, we have challenged tax base, we have very, very high cost of occupancy. And so that is a detriment that I would challenge our leaders in City Hall to continue to push forward. We have, you know, as you read, we have a huge uh, disparity among segregations with unemployment that. Um, and then you see Strauss brands losing, not being able to go into Century City because eight people are crying in the corner. And I get it, and I understand no one wants a slaughterhouse, but they have a slaughterhouse in Franklin, there's slaughterhouses all over the country, but we need jobs. And 250 high paying jobs could have come to Milwaukee and didn't, and that was a mistake. Um, so why Milwaukee? Um, I was born and raised here. Um, I have a great passion, I raised my family here. Um, I think Milwaukee is a great place. I love that it takes me on a bad day 20 minutes to get downtown and on a good day 15. And if I want to get through the entire city, I can do that in 30 minutes. Um, I sit in traffic in Chicago and it takes you one hour to go six miles. That drives me crazy. Um, I like it here. I think we've got really great talent. I think we've got really good people. I think the culture and the values of each person here are strong, and so being here is a fun place to be. Amen. Yes, sir. Uh, so, growing up, uh, I grew up in the north suburbs of Milwaukee. Um, I went to Nicolet High School. I um, played tennis all four years there. And, um, you know, as a young kid, you really don't know what you don't know, so you just run through the world. Um, graduated from Nicolet and ended up going to the East Coast, which I think was the biggest catalyst in, our, in my personal success of going and seeing what the world really is about. Because once you get to the East Coast, once you get to the big cities, I went to the, uh, college at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. The uh, 
the George Washington, George Washington University. Um, F Street uh, came from the street I went to school on, 22nd and F is where I lived. So uh, pretty simple. Um, it, as far as mentors go, you know, I did a lot of watching and observing. You kind of see those that are successful, right? Growing up, I knew a lot of really successful people and then I knew a lot of people that were challenged. And you wonder, why is that person so successful, right? What are they doing? And so my passion to that level was people that I saw that were successful were all in real estate. They were investors in real estate. They own real estate. They, were, they weren't doctors. They weren't lawyers. They were involved in real estate. And so that's how um, making my way back through Chicago, um, I wanted to be involved in real estate. I started learning a lot about returns and the value of a return. What's the difference between 7% and 8%? What's the difference between a cumulative IRR? How do you push returns? And that's really what matters, right? How do you get your money to make you money? And we can all have a job, and those are jobs. Um, but if you can have your job and something that's making you money, that's kind of the next step in, in the puzzle. So um, as far as current mentors today, um, you know, I, I, I depend on a lot of people that have been very successful in the real estate business. Um, Max Rosansky, who's been a longtime friend and mentor in the real estate world, um, knows everything. Um, he's a great resource for me and true confidant of what we're doing. Um, we have great legal counsel. And so you kind of just find the best and call them and reach out to them. As much as they want your business, they don't mind providing a little mentorship. So I'm interested because, you know, there's a family business as well. Uh, and you made the decision not to go that direction there was a great example, there was an opportunity to pick up what is almost a hundred year old business with your family's name on it. How did you make that, that call? Yeah, interesting. Um, so the family business he's referencing is Lurie Glass. Lurie Glass is a fourth generation business. Um, growing up in a family business sucks. Um, it's the most difficult thing one can endure every single day because it never stops. You're an entrepreneur, you're a family-run business, you've got ups and downs, peaks and valleys that impact households, impact your life. Uh, you know, growing up in a family business, if you asked was it positive or negative, I would say it was absolutely negative because it never brought any, it, yes, it sent me to college, I'm grateful for that. Yes, it paid for my tennis racket and did all of those lovely things, but being in the family business was not enjoyable. Okay, so you, you are in business with your family. Your son is here. He 100% wants to be like you when he grows up. How do you reconcile that? It sucks. You're telling me, poor Hayden, it, this is terrible. <laughs> Why would you want to do this? How do, how do you deal with that? You, so, so it's a fair question. So maybe the diversification in my life is my way of saying, son, tell me where your passions are and let's figure out how to work together. So a family business that's isolated into one category of business sucks. Okay. If you go into a business where you have multiple categories, whether his passion turns into finance and learning how to finance alternative deals that we do uh, might be interest. If it's the hospitality world where he wants to learn how to d deliver and provide five-star service to guests in the hospitality world, that might be a passion. So there's multiple different opportunities for him. If it's private equity and he wants to go manage operating companies and see how manufacturing works, that's exciting. And so providing him with a little more color and opportunity is, is a little different than growing up with the same 
I don't want to call them window panes as a bad joke, but with the window panes in your life that are there every day, it's different. And, and so what you see happen in businesses, in family businesses, you become, there becomes challenges amongst the family and then the family turns into family fights and then the family wars and then grandma and grandpa aren't talking and then grandma and grandpa and brother and sister aren't talking and then it turns into this, so Thanksgiving was never really fun. So, you know, you kind of, that's the gotcha. transition. Okay. So that said, uh, I looked and every piece of glass in this building has a little lurry glass sticker on it. So you're still supportive. I will be forever. Those are my family. I do, I do obviously support the business and encourage everyone else to. I like it. Uh, are you an investor or are you an entrepreneur? I would say both. I, I prefer the entrepreneurial category than the investor category. Um, but I do, I am an investor at heart. I've learned over the past 20 years the value of being an investor. Mm -hmm. um, and that's critical, so. What are you good at? So, I don't know, how do you talk about yourself? That's great. Um, what are you good at? Well, self, I'm, so I, I guess I would say in theory, I'm good at creating vision and having a team be able to, I'm, I'm good at being able to lead a team without asking them or telling them to follow me. Um, I, I, can, I, can, I can rally the troops, I can mm -hmm. keep people optimistic, I can people, keep them moving forward. Um, I'm very bad at organization. Um, I don't really have time for long emails, so when they come in and they're two pages, I just don't read them. So, um, so bad at that type of stuff. Good at, I guess, the three, you know, the high-level thinking and visions. So you've got a room full of entrepreneurs, business owners, CEOs, uh, business development people. What's the thing that you want them to know about learning from from the track record of success that you've had? Well, first, it's it's just not easy. So you come here and think about it. There's dark days, real dark days. There's days where you're sitting around wondering what the hell's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Should I just fold up the tent and go home? Um, and you wake up the next day with full of way more energy than you went to bed with, and it, it, it feels good. Um, as far as business development goes, I think networking is critical. If I wouldn't know Matt Dorner and Matt Dorner wouldn't know Pat Algiers, Assurance Building wouldn't have been sold to Scott, that I can assure you. And so um, that's important. I, I think it's also critical important that you pick up the phone and call everybody back that calls you. Um, I do that often. Um, Pat called me and within five minutes I called her back. and. Here we are today. So I use that as a microcosm of what just happened, but that happens every day in our world. We call people back. If you don't like what they're gonna say, that's okay. Um, but we call people back because the opportunity is right around the corner. And so um, that's, that's important for us. So when you, when you say, uh, call everyone back that calls you, what I just heard was an invitation for people to call you. I'll call you back. It was a callback that got us here. So I see a question from the audience.
<laughs> so, so to answer your question, it takes a long time to put the right people in the right seats in an organization. And still to this day, we are moving people around. People land in the wrong seats out of necessity or availability, right? Hey, you're the new general manager. How did you become here? Because I'm here, right? That's how come you're the new general manager. And the reality behind that is, that person should, should never be a general manager, but they are because it's easy. It's easy to do so. And so I think the challenges that, that you're going through is finding people to trust is impossible, right? For every 10 people you trust, nine of them are gonna have problems. It's human nature, it's the way the world kind of moves today, um, which I don't say as a negative, it's just you have to be with your eyes wide open, right? You have to understand that. To get trust, it takes a long time. You've got to spend time building that trust. It takes energy. Um, and also understanding who you're dealing with. You know what I mean? There's, there's, you pay for what you get, and that, doesn't, that never changes, right? And if someone's going to give you something that's not accurate, they're gonna, they'll, they'll figure out a way. And there's more people in the world looking to take advantage than work hard to be successful. Interesting question, great question. So I would say to answer your question is as the, as the organization, as our organization further develops, we've, I have, through the, through the group that we have, put more people in place to put more benchmark safeties, checks in, into the back of the napkin uh, understanding to which I used to do, right? Oh, this deal looks great, why? I don't know, it just does. And, and you feel it, right? And how do you operate on a feelings, right? That doesn't really get you very far. How does lenders, well, I feel this is gonna be a home run, lenders don't like that anymore. So um, we've, we've professionalized the organization by adding, um, I have the fortune to now work with a family member, my, my cousin Josh is now our in-house counsel, he's a tremendous asset. We've hired Jessica Guzman, who's a very skilled individual to help out with our development group. So you, you have to layer really good people around you and we're doing that now. Um, you know, Taking risk is the biggest challenge, right? So what do you say when you're an entrepreneur? I'm an entrepreneur. Well, I always ask, how, what's your risk tolerance? Because if, if your risk tolerance is a one and I'm a 10, you're not an entrepreneur in my world, right? And so I have several investors and I'll give you a short version of a story, but Cardinal Stritch Building, which was directly behind us on 12th Street, I was the stalking horse in the chapter 128 bid, okay? And my partner, and I didn't see eye to eye on the risk profile, right? He said, they're gonna go out and you're gonna have a vacant building and blah, 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 right? And so I said, well, let's take the risk. And we ended up not taking the risk for a $100,000 difference, right? So we had a deal in place where we were gonna take the risk, where we were gonna buy out the lease from Cardinal Stritch and Cardinal Stritch was gonna then sell us the building. Well, what Cardinal Stritch ended up doing was they ended up, they had a right of first refusal, a right of first offer in their contract 
they took my offer and they ended up buying the building. They ended up selling the building for $1.4 million more than the $1.1 million I was going to pay them. And that was a risk profile change between a partner and mine, right? He said, well, that, you're crazy. And I said, what? No, I got it. Come on. And he was putting up the $1.1 million at the time, and he won. Well, we all lost, but he won that we didn't get to buy the building. The point is, those are the visions where you kind of have partners and risk profile really drives home. And that's the biggest question for any entrepreneurs. You can't just say you want to be. You have to have a risk profile that matches that. Most accountants, most CPAs, most lawyers for that matter, typically fall in the risk profile of really far left, right? I don't have any risk tolerance. Yet they want to, right? And so why, why are accounts all the same, right? Why are they all introverted? Is there accounts in here? Sorry. Yes. Like, in, sorry. Yeah. Introverted humans that want to, to look at the numbers and overanalyze and overanalyze and overanalyze and then never do a deal. And that's okay. Um, and then you have other people on the other spectrum that are doing it. So it's just people fall into categories of where they are due to their risk profile more than anything. So here you are a couple million dollars later in deals. You don't have to take the scale of risks you used to. So are you choosing to limit the number of big risks or are you taking lots of little risks? How do you do it today? So th that essentially is what keeps us going, right? Is the risk, right? The holy hell, Pat Algiers calls, we gotta get a shirt under contract and she's gonna get 9,000 phone calls from me until that happens, right? And that's the art of the deal that keeps us going and people still, We'll say, how are you buying a vacant 400,000 square foot office building? That's very risky, right? And so most people would say, I'm not doing that. And how are you doing that with zero contingencies in your offer? That's another thing we're doing. So um, we love swinging for the fences. We love opportunities. Um, we are good at selling them to our lenders. Our lenders, we interact with a lot. Um, so you know, we, we look for the big and the small. I still have a love for duplexes in Shorewood. I don't know, it's one of those things. So we still, we still look to do deals. Um, we try to obviously create the best partnerships with our partners to be able to look at deals and do them all. One of the things that you're famous for uh, is having a uniform. You and Steve Jobs, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg. What's the deal with the uniform? When did you adopt it? Uh, what's the variance and how many publicly acknowledge how many black v-neck t-shirts do you own? Um, the uniform. So I would say it's maybe four or five years at this point since I continually wear the same pair of dirty black pants every day for four days, then I wash them. Um, or if I get stains on them, then I wash them. And, um, and my H&M 999 stretch v-neck, slim fitting, don't forget, um, t-shirt. So I buy them uh, probably by the 10 or 20 or 30s. Once they get a little blemish or something to them, they typically turn into the garbage, and that's okay. And um, they're everywhere. They're in my car, they're in my office bathroom, they're in my home, they're in my everything. So uh, um, how many do I have? A lot. Um, yeah. Why? Why do I have a lot or why well, do I wear the uniform? No, I don't, I mean, why do you choose a uniform? Well, first of all, I hate getting dressed. So everyone puts on these suits, and so I found it to be, if that's your consistent uniform, expectations are set that that's what you're gonna wear. So if you go to a formal event, 
you're always in a black t-shirt. You don't have to wear a sport coat or anything. So it becomes acceptable, right? Maybe, in my mind. Um, and then the other thing is that when I get up in the morning, whether it's winter or summer, I know what I'm wearing. And so I shower and I leave my house relatively quickly. I buy one or two pairs of shoes a year that kind of go with the uniform and rotate through them. So there's this idea that the elimination of choice uh, frees you up to uh, use that intellectual horsepower power on other things. What are you using with that free? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good way of thinking about it. I mean, I don't at this point think anymore about like when I wake up what I'm going to wear or what I'm going to go buy. I don't buy clothes. I buy a couple of pairs of jeans a year. They get shredded and faded out a little bit. Um, then they go in the garbage yeah. or donate it somewhere. But not a lot of people have a 26 inseam, so it's kind of hard to give them to people. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, it, it's just one of those things I don't even think about it anymore. I wake yeah. up, I know what I'm wearing, and I wear it to uh, every event that I have to go to, or I wear it to a business meeting with my attorneys or our people we're going to buy a house from or buy a building from, and this is what you get. So. What's the thing that you do every day? What's your daily practice? Do you have a ritual? Aside from the uniform. Yeah, no, uh, no, I don't. I don't wake up at a particular time. I don't set an alarm, but I'm always up by probably six. Um, so despite the fact that you have uh, investment in breweries, you, you own multiple venues in the hospitality space with bars, you are known for going home early. Yeah, I love sleep. Um, so I typically like to be in bed by 8.30 or 9, the latest. That's sleeping. Um, I don't know. I, I don't do well late at night. So it doesn't, I, I do like to go out. So I, my out time is from 4 to 6.30, 4 to 7. Um, that's when I like to go out. Um, I, I like to go to bed early. Just one of my things. I function better in the morning time. Julian? Yeah, so that's kind of the baby, right? So that's where I like to have my hands on that. Um, so, well, so that's where, you, so uh, people say, how do you make money? We well, make money buying stuff. I know that sounds maybe crazy, but that's how we make money is buying things. Um, so we look at different opportunities across the world of um, networking with brokers, meeting with different people, speaking to everybody, anybody who wants to listen to what we might have to potentially say. We have professionalized that a little bit by adding a few new people to our team. Um, we get calls every day from brokers. Um, we love when deals fall out of contract. That's great for us. Um, those are opportunities. Um, so, we, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm, that's where I'd love to, you know, if a deal comes in, the sirens go off, we're, we're in deal mode. The, you know, the building's on fire, and then we're trying to solve for that. Um, we've added some people to help evaluate and continue to analyze opportunities, um, and that's how we kind of continue down the road. But I certainly take those calls and tour the buildings and get involved right away. How do you vet them? Yeah. So it depends on, so everything unfortunately comes down to what are you going to pay for it and what are the returns going to be and how do you value that, right? So if you took um, Assurant, 
you know, I think from an insurance building, I think the opportunity is can we deliver? How do you vet those people? Is that what oh. you meant? Yeah. How do you get the, the people? Wow. So it's, it's a trusting factor. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, it, it's hard because people, to get people to care as much as you care is the most difficult thing you can get them to do. And so you can do so by asking them. You can do so by watching them. And then you can also do so by you doing it and they watch you. And so there's various different challenges to that whole paradigm, right? And so there's times when I get e emails from our people that are working and say, hey, here's this. And sometimes I don't, they're in the room, so I don't want to tell them, but I don't always open them. I say, we can do better. And you challenge them without even challenging them to go back and try to do better. And then, then you can visit the opportunity again. Hey, did you look at this? Not yet, um, but we can do better. Or yes, we can. And so it takes a little bit of energy because, you know, Think about it like this, in a weird sense of the world. If you hired somebody to run, a, to be a general manager of, let's say, a pizza restaurant, and you pay them... No particular pizza restaurant. No, just, just a pizza restaurant. Yeah. Let's just say a pizza restaurant. And if you paid them $50,000 a year, contemplate in your mind how many pizzas you have to sell to pay for that salary. And that's a very convoluted way of thinking about your team members, but it really helps. So, so the challenge of hiring uh, is one that we have seen more and more often is uh, as an issue for entrepreneurs and business owners. Sure. Uh, part of that challenge is not knowing what to do and not building a process around it. And so we talk about what are the great interview questions, what are the things that you look for to really make an assessment, what's the thing that is a non-negotiable for you? What's the thing that you see or hear uh, or look for that says to you, this is, this is my person? So urgency. How does that show up? Well, it, it's interesting. So when, you, when somebody submits a resume, let's just say, for a job, and you say, hey, we would like to meet with you on Tuesday at 4. And Wednesday at 3 o'clock, they call you back and say, oh, sorry, I didn't see your email. I mean, we're, That's not it. Well, we're not working together. That's okay. Um, so urgency is important. Everything we do um, revolves around the urgent battle to win, and it starts with every email, text message, phone call, being responsive, being awake, being responsive. Um, it's critical to what we do. And so some of my team members will say, when they don't respond back to me now, I say, hey, are you awake? I'm going to try to remember everything you said. Um, 
so where do I see Milwaukee in the next 10, 15 years, and, and how do we fit into that? M Milwaukee is, has a lot of really good things going for it. The challenge with Milwaukee is operating expenses or expenses to run your business in Milwaukee are not sustainable in the current environment, in my opinion. And unless you're a Northwestern Mutual or unless you're a company that produces billions and billions of dollars and your numbers, it, it turns into a fractional, a fractional percentage of something, it means money to people when your taxes are $16. Look at Bayshore, for example. Bayshore has a lot of problems. One of the largest problems Bayshore has is that if you run a business in Bayshore, your operating expenses are over $20 a foot. So your rent might be 18 and your operating expenses are 20, now you're paying 40 bucks a foot. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable if you're a pizza restaurant, it's not sustainable if you're a jeweler, if you're not sustainable if you're Devon's, it's not sustainable with everything. So you have, we, we need to figure out as a city from the leadership, how do we reduce the tax burden that falls on businesses. And I don't know how to do that. I just know the problem exists. Um, where do we fit? We'll continue to be opportunistic investors in Milwaukee. Um, you know, there's, when I first start, got involved in real estate, we were flipping houses. Um, and that was a thing, and buying foreclosures was a thing. And there was such urgency around them, and then there's no more. There's still foreclosures every day. There's still transactions happening every day. There's still opportunity every day. Um, so we, we continue down that road. I don't think there's a, you know, a deal cycle that's ending. I think there's always a deal. If you miss one, you get the next. And so we're, we're always in the game, continuing to network and hopefully bringing new opportunities and new jobs here to Milwaukee. What's your goal for 2020? Um, well, in 2020, we're going to start actually our first time as a company going ground up um, with some multifamily housing. Um, we've got a project happening in Sheboygan Falls. We've got a project happening in Brown Deer. We maybe have a project happening in Bayview, depending on how Mr. Zelinsky feels today. Um, so, it, it, so we're, we're we're excited about that. We have. We're, we're, we're building a team. I'm very excited for the team that's surrounding us right now. Um, you know, we, we have a new team member, Jessica, who's in the room, who's doing great things for us already. And um, we've got some really exciting projects that we're working on. Um, so Assurance sure Building, um, as far as goals, certainly want to continue to build, add team members to our organization and continue to do great things in the city. So with consideration to who's in the audience, business owners, executives, and so on, I'm going to ask you for some advice. What's the best thing that you started uh, not doing yourself? You outsourced it, you hired out, you just stopped, whatever it was. Yeah, so we do, we've now formalized over the last couple years a lot of the departments, right? So we have an HR director who runs HR. We've added some accountants and we're continuing to hire. Um, I would say what I've stopped doing is, is, is is the daily accounting, daily focus. We've got some really great people. We've got a great CFO, great senior accountant. So um, letting these people um, who are very valuable to our team show up every day. Um, we stopped looking so much at the clock, um, the, the when are you here, when are you not here. Um, if you're here and you're on the team, you're getting the job done. And if you need to leave it for to go 
do something, that's okay. We, we kind of have taken a different approach to um, the time commitments because everybody in our organization works more than 40 hours a week and everybody's focused on being successful. And so we just let them do their thing. And believe it or not, they're doing it. And what's the thing that you've started doing? Um, I've, so, interesting question. So what I've started doing, which I think is so critical, is making sure that the right people are in the right seats. What I've found is we have so many people inside of an organization that are in the wrong seats. And so in our organization, unfortunately, we've had significant intentional turnover in the last 60, 90 days where we're taking people that are in the wrong seats and moving them either out of our organization or into a different seat that better suits them. And part of that is cultural, part of that is um, vision, part of it's their desires to be successful. And so what I've done to answer the question is stop hoping that people are gonna be better tomorrow. It doesn't really happen. Um, we need the right people in our organization that are desire and are better today and tomorrow. Of your many accomplishments, uh, and of the many things you've done, what are you most proud of? Uh, that's a, um, I, I don't know. I would say what, what, I'm, what I'm most proud of is the team that we continue to build. You know, we have people that, would, that love working here. We have people that work hard without being asked. Um, I think that's really important is this team that we have around us. We have, if you had the restaurants in, you have probably eight, 900 employees and they're all not in the right seats today either, but we're, we're proud of, I'm most proud of our, lead, our senior leadership and our strategic partners that we have that will continue to work with us and trust us and we trust them and we're doing some great stuff. So this is my last question. Uh, you have a moment and a microphone to offer a message of hope, of growth, of encouragement, uh, specifically focusing on the visionary future you have for our community. And so when talking to this group, what would you like us to know? What would you like us to do to really capture uh, that energy and, 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 and fully realize the potential that these businesses have and this community has? Well, first of all, thank you all for being here. It's certainly great to be with each of you, and uh, I appreciate the invite to be part of your it's my pleasure. Uh, speaking series. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think from, a, from a global standpoint, you know, People always are passive or more passive than they should be in terms of um, a character flaw of embarrassment or fear of embarrassment. We, we really got to um, get out in front of it and challenge ourselves each day to, to pick up the phone and call uh, Mayor Barrett if you have something to say to him, he'll call you. Um, or write a letter to Rocky Marku or speak to a president of a bank that wasn't an investor of yours and ask him, do you know anybody? I've got a problem, what's my solution? And I had a problem in April of 2014, we were sending out $2 million of our lending business and I was only bringing in a million. And so we had a million dollar discrepancy each month that I had to go and raise individually. And I picked up the phone and called a CEO of a bank and asked him if he knew anybody and he called me back and he said, me, I'll be your investor. And he's today a $10 million investor of ours um, who's taught me a lot of things as a mentor. So making those phone calls, picking up the phone, dialing for dollars, dialing for network, dialing for meetings. Um, you know, the worst thing that happens is they say, sure, and then you're like, oh crap, what do I do now? Um, so 
um, I would just encourage everyone, you know, everyone's got someone they want to talk to that they haven't reached out to today. Um, I would go back and call them right now. Reach out and say, hey, my name is, and here's what I need from you. And be specific, be clear, um, value their time. Um, but don't forget, th it might be rewarding for them to call you back. So reach out to everybody. I heard a lot of East Coast in that, and I Sorry. liked it. <laughs> uh, please join me in thanking Scott Laurie, father, entrepreneur, investor, CEO, hospitality guru, real estate guru, hard money lender, uh, and so many other things, golf champion, <laughs> for being with us this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you, Albert. <laughs> nice to be with you.